Welcome aboard! We will be your guides during this magical journey into the movies. It's the perfect job for us because we love the movies. It's showtime! Ready when you are, CB! Action! Welcome to Monorail Radio, episode number 242. I'm Sean. And I'm Jackie. And we are very excited and happy to be joined this week by our friend, Christina Kay. She is back for the third time. Christina, welcome back to Monorail Radio. Thanks for inviting me back. I'm actually surprised after the whole Frozen episode you wanted me to come back. <laughs> <laughs> well, I did, of course. Uh, but yes, Christina has joined us prior on Frozen and Beauty and the Beast. But now she's joining us for a Marvel review. I'm so excited. This is my favorite Marvel movie, so I had to be on this one. <laughs> I guess that's a good place to start. What is it about Captain America the Winter Soldier that you love so much? Well, I don't know if I ever told you guys the story of how I got into Marvel, because I wasn't a comic book person, but um, I was very close with my grandfather, and he loved war movies. Like, we would watch war documentaries all the time, and we were flipping through channels one day, and uh, the first Avenger was on. And he's like, oh, a war documentary. And I'm like, Grandpa, this looks too professionally made. I don't think this is a war documentary. And then Chris Evans comes up on the screen. And I have loved Chris Evans ever since The Perfect Score. So I was like, oh, what is this? And I feel like this is before Marvel movies were like overly publicized. You didn't have like trailers everywhere. It wasn't all over social media. So, and I loved Sebastian Stan too, because I watched him on like Gossip Girl. So watching their dynamic, I was like, I love this. And then I went to go see the Avengers, the first Avengers in theaters. And they showed a coming attraction, I guess, for, for Winter Soldier. And I was like, I cannot wait to see this. And everything about the movie, the plot, the characters, the score. I, I, first of all, I love the Russo brothers. And I feel like you could tell a difference with their Marvel movies than the other ones. And since this was the first one, it really stuck out to me. And it's one of those movies I'll just never get tired of watching. I was watching it last night. And it was like the first time I was watching it all over again. I... I love everything about this film. I really do. The casting, all the new elements they introduced. And I feel like this movie, maybe more than any other Marvel movie, has more callbacks to and references and set up so much. And that, to me, is Marvel. Like, that's what did it for me with Marvel. I had no idea that that's how you got into it because of your grandpa. I love that story yeah. so much. He is my real life, like Captain America, because he fought in the war and he has all these stories and there's, and he had a friend in the war that he lost in the war and he felt like it was my grandfather's Captain America. So between that and Chris Evans, like that is just the ultimate for me. So it will never be topped. <laughs> oh my goodness. I love that so much. This is going to make for a very interesting discussion though, because this is not to say that I don't love the movie, but this is not one that I go back and rewatch very often. And I'm glad you bring up the Russo brothers because this is where it really starts to feel different. It feels more yeah. like the Marvel movies that we know now, but yeah. compared to the first Captain America movie in the trilogy, this is totally different. Yeah, and I think it's totally different than a lot of the, like it's a political thriller, which I feel like we don't have too much in the other Marvel movie so yes there's good fighting elements which we'll talk about but I feel like that wasn't the focus of this film like it is some of the other Marvel films exactly. but before be before we get into the movie I just want to know because I feel like you can base the conversation off what your favorite movies are which I know you've talked about like your top three and I'll give you my top three um it was funny because I did a re-listen of our Avengers review to prepare for this episode and we gave mm -hmm. our top three back then but that was before uh Endgame had come out um, we okay. did. We reviewed all three Avengers films at that time as a lead into Endgame. Um, 
so at the time I had said Iron Man, Captain America, the first Avenger and Captain Marvel. And I, I don't know that what I was me. thinking because I've really <laughs> not gone back to watch Captain Marvel since I saw it in theaters. Uh, and it has totally changed uh, now. So now I would say um, still Iron Man because that is what got me hooked. Yeah. Uh, Endgame because they tied everything up in a perfect bow and Guardians 2 for me. Interesting. Yeah, I think Captain America, the first Avenger especially after our conversation last week, is going to hold that number one spot, um, followed closely by Endgame and Guardians Volume 2. I, and, and and really, like, any of those three are interchangeable and they're not wrong. Yeah. But I, I really do put the first Captain America film at the top of the list for so many You know, reasons. it's so funny. Anyone I talk to about Captain America... Either their Team Winter Soldier or Team First Avenger. You never see both in the top three. That's very interesting. Yeah. But people go so hard for this movie. I think a lot of that is because of Sebastian Stan. I think you're either a diehard of this one or it's at the bottom. I don't think it's in the middle of anyone's list. I think it's like one or the other. Right. All right. Well, that is a great jumping off point. Where is this film going to... Well, we know where it ranks for Christina. But where is this <laughs> film going to rank for you and I at the end of the conversation? How much did they set up? And does this film hold up compared to a lot of the Marvel films that came out after it? That, on top of many other things, is what we are here to discuss today. This episode is sponsored by Fierce Fox Co., designers of handmade silkscreen shirts. Fierce Fox has a t-shirt, tank top, hoodie, or crew neck for every fandom. So whether it's the movies or theme parks, princesses or villains, the MCU or Star Wars, everyone will find something they love. The designs range from subtle quotes from our favorite films to iconic characters we can wear proudly in so many different styles, such as sketchbook and concert tees. Listeners of Monoreal Radio can get a 20% discount using the code MONOREAL at checkout. Visit FierceFoxDesignCo.com to check out all of the collections. Remember before we turned the uh, microphones on and I said to Christina that we're going to do it linear, but I'm going to try <laughs> to like group some scenes together so that we don't... Yeah, I'm about to break that promise. Uh, <laughs> you have like a sentence there. Yeah, basically. Captain Steve Rogers is living in Washington, D.C. and working for S.H.I.E.L.D. two years after the Battle of New York and meets Sam Wilson. I mean, there really is no way to jump after that because we would get so far involved and so deep into the plot that I don't think that you can look past this meeting with Sam specifically because, and I, I am not afraid to admit I forgot, and maybe I'm going to get crucified for this, that this is the first time you hear on your left. I completely, <laughs> I completely forgot that this is where it came that, from. That is one of my favorite Marvel scenes. I think it's the greatest opening scene for a movie. That is su that's such an iconic scene. I mean, even the way that shot, the dialogue in it, I, I love that scene. How did you forget that? <laughs> well, I don't know. There's like 26 Marvel movies, Christina. <laughs> After a while, I'm just like aliens, orbs, explosions, yeah, <laughs> world domination. Like after a while, yeah. <laughs> it all maybe it's because maybe it's because I've watched that movie so many times. Maybe this is like a sign for you to watch it more. Just putting that out there. So <laughs> oh, I see how this is going to go. This yeah. might be worse. I didn't forget that this was where on your left came from. 
but I forgot that this was their very first meeting. I didn't forget that Sam was in this movie, but I think because um, we're getting, you know, really deep into S.H.I.E.L.D. here and I haven't rewatched it, I guess I kind of thought that Falcon came with S.H.I.E.L.D. and I forgot that they didn't know each other prior. And shame on me because this is one of the most epic introductions of all time. Like... Yeah. To me, this is beyond a character meet. It feels more like a meet cute almost. Yeah. In in like a romance, just because you have that immediate bromance form. Um, I love how On Your Left becomes a callback, but even just in the context of this film, it's such a great way to establish where Steve is now acclimating to the present, but he's still dealing with loss. So of course he's mm-hmm. going to gravitate towards Sam as soon as he learns that he too is a veteran. And now they have that in common. They have this mutual respect for each other out of the gate. And, you know, I, I, the reason I wanted to go back and revisit Avengers is because I wanted to explore how Steve was acclimating and they really didn't lean into it that much. Like you've got Mm -hmm. a couple of quips from Tony Stark about him coming off the ice and now being in present day. Um, Right. You know, his you have a great open the first time he faces off with Loki where he's like, well, you know what happened the last time I was in Germany and somebody made some <laughs> everyone kneel before them. Um, but they don't lean into the time jump nearly enough and what the cap yeah. is dealing with as far as the people that he's lost along the way. And, you know, it it goes a lot deeper than just 70 years have gone by in its modern times now. Don't you think that this opening scene is such a good, they like they recapped and set up so perfectly that you didn't even realize they were doing it. I feel like sometimes Marvel tries too hard with that. But with this scene, I just felt like it was a perfect marriage of both of those things. When like Sam is telling Steve about stuff he missed and he pulls out his little like notebook and you see like Star Wars and I love Lucy, like bravo. It's so good. I love how the shot lingers on the notebook because Mm -hmm. that's the thing, like, you know, when you think about, you know, we were talking about grandparents before, but when you think about their generation and mm-hmm. what they're missing out on technologically now and, and just present day, it's it's sad, but they're not going to know what they're missing. Here, yeah. the cap has so much to catch up on just so that he can not only stay relevant, but just figure out his his role now. Um, so I, I love that they did that. I love that they just captured all of these pop culture elements and, and they let us see like what he is trying to focus on. I thought that was a really nice touch. Yeah. Christina yeah. copied my notes. She, she was like, <laughs> cause I have that exact thing written down. So uh, I'm not even going to get into it because then it's just going to be an echo chamber. But, uh, I think that this is a perfect time 11 minutes in for us to go off the rails like we do when the three of us get together. (laughs) Um, You know, you said it. It's such an iconic open. It becomes probably the most iconic line in the entire Infinity Saga. Mm -hmm. And it's such a massive meeting that we get Sam Wilson here. And remember, Sam is the new Captain America, and he got a spinoff with Bucky on Disney+. Plus. I think this is a decent time to ask this question. And I understand why they why they had to do it this way because there are so many characters. It is such a big universe. But is mm-hmm. this one of these instances when you go, 
it's just too much Marvel to keep track of all of this stuff. We've seen the movies. We've seen all of them. We've talked about most of them on the show. I should yeah. remember that this is where we meet Sam. Just like I should remember how much of the Infinity Saga gets set up in Thor The Dark World, but because the movie's so bloody bad, you kind of block all of it out. But they do so much to set up in that film. They do a lot of setting up in the first Guardians movie that you forget about. Mm -hmm. Does it become too much? Is it an oversaturation that we're starting to miss important things because everything becomes a blur? Absolutely now. I feel that way. But when Winter Soldier came out, I think up until... Probably right before maybe the second Guardians movie, I feel like the way they introduced characters was wonderful. I feel like it was slow and steady, like Sam Wilson, very great introduction. You get to really know him. But in a lot of these other newer movies, they throw him in so quick and you're like, wait, what just happened? Now I feel that way. I'm very overwhelmed by it. But back in the Winter Soldier era, like in that phase, I didn't feel that way at all. I thought they did a really good job of introducing him and even and even uh, Sharon Carter in this movie as well. Yes, I would agree with that because I feel like now there are so many people who didn't get on the Marvel train way back when that they're so intimidated to start now because they're like, I don't want to watch 26 films to understand yeah. the latest one. Um, so it was That's certainly. Yeah, it was less to keep track of back in the day. But I think yeah. for us personally, we don't go back and rewatch the earlier Marvel enough and I think part of that is because of this podcast because some of these earlier films were not produced under Disney they were distributed Mm -hmm. so we just haven't gone back for them in the same way so you do miss all of the callbacks but what I really love that Disney has done is that they've still factored in what was produced under Paramount what was produced under Sony Mm -hmm. and they still are able to seamlessly do those callbacks and tie it all together you know who I feel like does it the best, though? When you look at the four films that the Russo brothers have done, I yeah. think they honor Marvel throughout the years, all the companies, better than anyone. I really, really do. Agreed. I mean, James Gunn is still probably my favorite, but I feel like Guardians are sort it's of It's a different in a universe. Class. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. They're in a class by themselves. But as far as yeah. like your main Avengers go, yeah, it's the Russo brothers. Yeah. Did I tell you I met Joe Russo? Did I tell you I met him in Cancun? Yes, you told me. Oh Actually, God. I don't know if Sean knows. <laughs> no, he does not. How casually you say these things. Oh, well, there was no, so much was... That from her trip that I did relay to you that That's I think right. I missed that one. <laughs> That's right. I forgot I saw just you since then. But yeah, I was I was at breakfast in Cancun on a broadcast that had nothing to do with Disney. And this gentleman walks by and I was like, you guys, I think that's, I'm pretty sure that's Joe Russo, but I wasn't caffeinated, so I wasn't sure. I had a Captain America hand sanitizer on my bag, and as I was leaving, he came up and said, nice, uh, nice Captain America shield, and I was like, it's him, it's him, <laughs> like, and I just, like, I didn't, like, fangirl over him like I would normally do, but I just, like, complimented him because of the work he's put into the Marvel movies, and you can tell, like, he didn't say it, but you could tell he misses these movies, so I hope eventually he comes back, because I feel like we need them right now. You say that it had nothing to do with Disney this trip. No, you were just there. You're just a magnet for all things Disney. That happened uh, the other weekend when I was in the city and I was like, hello, Jody Benson. (laughs) (laughs) You went to see Sweeney Todd (laughs) and you see Jody Benson. (laughs) This girl is magic. Like that. That's that's what it is. She is magic. (laughs) Moving on. (laughs) On the. Sorry, I just. I just had to say 
say that about Joe Russo because I was watching it last night and I, because I, I, I forget he has cameos in all of the movies right. that he does. Um, and I just, I just thought of that and I, I had to share. <laughs> Idina Menzel is not even in this movie and we've lost Sean. <laughs> we tend to do that. <laughs> I've never felt more like a board op on a show that I helped conceptualize <laughs> than I do when Christina joins us. Oh, oh, that makes me feel so bad. <laughs> Good, it was supposed to. On the Indian Ocean, pirates have taken a shield. <laughs> Listeners, you can't see, but <laughs> the water just came back out. <laughs> oh my gosh, that was great. <laughs> when you've known each other for this long and went to college together, this is what happens. Yep. <laughs> On the Indian Ocean, pirates have taken a shield vessel and its passengers hostage. Steve and Natasha Romanoff have joined the mission to rescue them. However... Natasha also has a plan to steal data from the ship's computers, which infuriates Steve as he believes that she has jeopardized their mission. Upon returning to S.H.I.E.L.D. headquarters, Steve approaches Nick Fury about why he did not know that Natasha was there to grab the data and not to rescue the hostages. Um, so, as this is playing out, I feel like the action is very good, it sort of seems unnecessary. Like, why were these pirates taking this ship? Why are we here? Why do we care? It's not until you get to the very end of the scene that you realize why this whole thing with the data is uh, necessary. And I think that that's sort of uncharacteristic for Marvel because everything they do is so deliberate and I feel like you're kind of along for the ride from the start. But I think yeah. this goes back to kind of what you said before, Christina, where this is more a political caper because yeah. this this movie does play out more like The Fugitive than it does any other Marvel sure. film, right? So yeah. it, it's not until you get to the end of the scene that it seems necessary that we did it which I think at times is sort of a common thread throughout the film. See, what I loved about this is that it's not flashy. Again, shot so well. I think of you, Jackie, because I feel like this, I don't know how you haven't said that. Like, I feel like this movie shot so well, but I feel like you really can see who Steve is as a person, like his fighting and Natasha, like how they each bring something different to shield to marvel um and also i just gotta say i love the the part where he takes the shield and the the helmet off and you could really see like steve is the real deal and that's why i like fight people when they're like oh he's not the strongest uh avenger mm. <laughs> <laughs> but i feel like it's a good mix of it's not the flashy fight sequences that we're used to with openings. You've got that little bit of banter. It sets more of them up of who they are now where they are now and kind of their place in this whole demise of shield i guess i completely agree and i'm actually going to disagree with what you said sean mm -hmm. um because i think this was all intentional to christina's point this is where the russo brothers really shine and this was the perfect passing of the torch of okay how are we going to take this movie that was produced under a different company and make it feel like our own and to yeah. me it's this scene right here um it's funny you mentioned the way that it's shot because part of that is to make it feel tonally different. When you think uh -huh. about Captain America, the first Avenger, um, that movie just feels very big. They've got a lot of like longer takes and sweeping shots. Like when you think about yeah. the Star Spangled Man with a Plan sequence and how they've shot that. I mean, that's a musical number. It's a little bit different. But... Alan Menken! 
<laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, the Stark Expo, the train where we lose Bucky, all of those feel very big and very long. Mm-hmm. And here they shot it handheld. So that was done intentionally to put you right into the action and make this film feel a little bit grittier. And I love yeah. that they threw us right in. Um, to me, it's a total flex for the cap because we've seen him hone his power in his time during the forties mm-hmm. in the war. We've seen what he can do in that regard. Now, the next time we meet him, he's thrown in with the Avengers. So he's got to work as part of this team and we see him work with Thor and how they put the hammer and the shield together. But now Cap is totally on his own. So mm-hmm. I think they did this intentionally to legitimize him to show that he can fight. Yes. And so that he didn't get written off. And the actually the um that scene you were talking about where he takes off the shield and the and the helmet. Um that was the stunt coordinator that he's fighting. They brought him in especially and they did all this fight choreography in his style. So that's why they let him fight Chris uh I almost said Chris Hemsworth oh my goodness uh that's why they let him fight Chris Evans um so that they can kind of you know he can kind of show his chops a little bit yeah I love that you also see Natasha start to become more comfortable right because Mm -hmm. she starts to let her guard down a lot in this film in particular where they start with the are they or aren't they between her and the cap and she's trying to get him back in the dating world, and she's kind of ribbing him the whole time. But I think that was important for us to see because we all only really know her as a killing machine up to this point, right? So you kind mm-hmm. of needed her to become more human, especially by the time we get to the end of the Infinity Saga where she is starting to feel different than she had. Because when we meet her for the first time, which I think was in Iron Man 2... Yeah. Um but it was was that just an end credit no. or it was it was towards no. the end of the film. She was like his secretary or whatever that he hired but she was always, she was a completely different person for most right. of the film. That's right. And then that's right. That was all of his, a sudden I she's like one. yeah. Yeah, that was like she had the fight scene and then all of a sudden it's the Avengers and we're like, well who who really is this person? And you learn a little bit in the Avengers but I feel like this is the movie where you get to know her as a person and where she is now. And I think that's also a credit to what the Russo brothers were trying to change here because up until now she's been the femme fatale character. Now Uh they started writing her as a more independent character, as a deeper character. So we're going to start getting to the heart of her. But I, I think it's really smart what they did here because they held back. They're alluding to her past, but they haven't given us everything yet, but we're starting to see how conflicted she is. Uh My biggest issue with how this entire thing ends is that the the control room that they're in, the walls, the windows blow out because the joke is that she has kind of jeopardized their mission. And the next thing you know, we're in Nick Fury's office hearing about how the hostages were saved, but we never actually see it happen. But do you need to? What One of the things I love about this film is that it's not like super long and you're not like, oh, they could have cut this out. I feel like a scene like that, you've been like, okay, they saved them then here we like I feel like you didn't need that it was just implied I would agree because I think in Captain America the first Avenger you would absolutely see it I mean you do when he goes to uh rescue the the 107th Bucky squad 
Um, but I think that that really lends to this feeling like a political thriller is that you mm-hmm. don't need him to save the bad guys. I, th- I think this is what is elevating the character because yeah. he is sort of getting stripped of that like plucky, um, you know, I'm going to save the day attitude. And now it's just like, get through the mission. Um, I really love the scene in Fury's office, though. Um, I I think this is really smart as far as one-upping what they started in Avengers as far as planting the seeds of doubt in Fury. Um, Mm -hmm. And Fury just kind of telling people what they need to know. Um, Because what he does in Avengers, uh, when when this is like a, a I, I hate bringing it up because he's a fan favorite and I don't want to bring down the room, but at Colston's death, uh, Colston had those Captain America cards, but they weren't on him when he passes. And Nick Fury took Colston's blood, put them on the cards as a way to rally the Avengers into taking down Loki. Um, so we've seen that happen where it's like, do we actually trust this guy, even though he is the director of shield or, you know, is, is he playing both sides, all sides? Like, what is he doing? And now they really expand on that. Um, so I, I love this back and forth between the two actors. I think Chris Evans and Samuel L. Jackson are great up against each other. Um, and I love this theme that they're planting about, freedom versus fear and um i i wish they had leaned into this a little bit more and and given them more time opposite each other yeah i i i say this about everyone that chris evans interacts with in this film but i feel like his one-on-ones with each character the chemistry is so amazing and i wish in other movies we got to see it more but i love that with fury like you said you kind of are guessing like the whole time is he on the wrong side or is he just really smart? Like, and I think that this movie establishes that. Right. Is it the wrong side or is he 10 steps ahead? Yeah, and exactly. And I think we do get our answer later on in this film. Oh, yeah. um, but it's just a really good way to plant that seed of doubt and put them on opposing sides. Like when, when uh, Cap says you're going to protect everyone by holding guns at them. Um, I, I love that you have those two opposing viewpoints and it does Mm -hmm. sort of call back to cap's character in the first avenger so it's it's just a really good bridge it does and the thing is you as the viewer see both sides of this right like you understand the moral Mm -hmm. perspective from steve rogers but at the same time you've just seen what happens in the battle in new york so it's like yeah but kind of you kind of need this to protect Mm. humanity because now we know that a wormhole can open anywhere in the universe and (laughs) here can come a genocidal maniac that's willing and able to do anything that they want to eliminate mankind. And obviously we do have that happen with Thanos later on. So like, that's where you, you're like, Oh, you, you, you're pulling at my heartstrings but you're also wrong because I agree with Fury. You know, it's it's very brilliant that they that they can make that reaction out of a viewer. Do you guys now watch this or anything Fury has done since we've been introduced to the Skrulls differently? Do you think at some points in this movie maybe Skrulls ha- were him? 
because there's another scene where he everything's override. He's like Nicholas J. Fury, and it says denied, and then said who denied it, and it's Nicholas J. Fury, and I couldn't help but think. Mm, are we going to have another call back to this film with the scrolls? Because I'm not going to give anything away with Secret Invasion, but I think we're about to dive into this movie even more with Marvel. At the time of this recording, we are only one episode into Secret Invasion. We've been trying to okay, catch so up, I but won't say anything. I was wondering that same thing myself, especially later on when he uses his bad eye for that final scan. Yes. I yeah, I kind of started putting those pieces together, and I, I hope there's mm-hmm. a payoff on it. Looking to regain his trust, Fury briefs Steve on Project Insight, which involves three helicarriers synced to a network of satellites that can intercept incoming threats and spy on terrorists. But Steve believes that this is just a means of spying on the world, as we just talked about just now. Uh, Steve then visits his own exhibit at the Smithsonian before traveling to visit Peggy, who is now living in what I believe is assisted living and struggling with Alzheimer's. Um... You know, this is the first time, really the first time, that you that, that Steve starts to question everything. And this goes back even to, you know, the first film, and then as we see him progress in the Avengers, he's never really questioned anything, right? So yep. he's questioning things now, but it takes him going to see his own exhibit to really kind of put him over the top. And I love that they put him here. I love that Gary Sinise low-key is doing the voiceover. Um, yeah. But him looking at everything and seeing Bucky's memorial, this, everything about this is so well done. It's such a great recap of the first movie too, which I appreciate when they do, especially when so many movies have been in between. If you don't have time to catch up before it comes out, I thought this was another solid recap without shoving it all in your face. Like we know, we know. And I felt like it gave it like a dramatic edge to it. So you know that he's got so much on the line. Like I, I, I think that whole scene, and again, ties back to my grandfather, like going to museums, the war museums with him and saying, Oh, I know this person. I was there for that. Like, uh, all the feels. <laughs> this whole scene is incredible. I completely agree. This was actually the scene that I was thinking of when you mentioned it before about how good they are at recapping without mm-hmm. giving you too much exposition, making it too wordy. Um, I love everything about this scene. I think that DC is such a great setting, but here's where it especially shines because you get the Smithsonian. Yeah. Um, and I love this juxtaposition of the hero worship of Captain America versus all he's seeing is loss around him. Like he recognizes what he means to people. Um, especially that one moment where you get where the kid recognizes him and he tells him to shush. It's oh my- so wonderful. His jaw being dropped and like shaking his head. That's going to be me when I walk into the room with Chris Evans and like no words come out of my mouth. Like I relate to that child. Oh, that's right. Another <laughs> thing that she just casually throws in there. Would you like to tell our listeners what you get to do? I, Chris Evans is my ultimate. Like, he's number one on my hall pass list. I love Captain America. I get to interview him at New York Comic Con this year. I don't know how that's, you know, like, I almost don't want to tease it because I'm like, I'm setting, I'm setting me up for failure here. I don't know how this is going to go, but uh, let's hope for the best. <laughs> you're, you're going to do amazing. Jody Benson recognized you. You're, you're going to do yes. absolutely amazing. <laughs> I um, don't know. I'm in love with Chris Evans, though. So there is a difference. <laughs> He's so great in this scene, though. And this is, again, where I wish that they would have leaned into it a little bit more because we see the struggle of him adjusting to modern times. But 
what I wish that they would have explored a bit. Well, I mean, I guess they do kind of open it up throughout the rest of the movie is that most people who fought in a war, they're unfortunate if they survive the war. Unfortunately, they're not going to live long enough to see things like mm-hmm. this happen and see the fallout and see so many generations removed and how much things have changed. So now he's got to deal with this sort of feeling like did it was this all for nothing because everything yeah. that I fought for and everything that I believed in are no longer common values and I feel like we don't get inside his head enough as far as that sort of struggle I think like in other movies though they do set the stage of getting inside his head where he feels with the whole especially like civil war but um when you're first watching this movie you want to know more but then Marvel always has a plan and you'll learn something you know 12 movies later but you'll learn it eventually (laughs) um question did we need the Peggy scene I say yes. I say yes because it, we know that, spoiler, down the timeline, they mm-hmm. kill her off, right? We know that, and, and that's a big thing for him. I don't think that you needed to leave any question marks as to whether or not she were alive or not, because had they just killed her down the road we would have been like wait a minute she was alive the whole time how right. did he how did he not go see her so i think you needed to see it my bigger problem with this in retrospect um because he's so good with her um he's so gentle with her and he understands that she's not going to remember him but he still says i had to come back for my favorite girl like he he, he does everything the best whatever it was he just he says no, it that's so like well. a 40s it's best gal he was but but it was so well done the only thing that i now have an issue with is we're introduced to Sharon Carter later in the movie we look at the pictures of peggy and her children it seems out of character for Captain America that he would do the back to the future thing that you're not supposed to do at the mm-hmm. end of Endgame mm-hmm. and go have his dance with Peggy because what you've effectively done is you just wiped her children off the map for yourself. Um, And that's the exact thing that he does. And it just seems, now that we know him for who he is, it just seems out of character that... Steve Rogers would be willing to wipe people out of existence for his own benefit. But did he, do you think he did or do you think, yeah. Okay. Jackie's on the same page. Yeah. Uh, The one thing I question is when they had that movie playing of Peggy in the museum and she said, he introduced me to my now husband that I'm like, that's yeah, that's a little weird to me, but I think all the children are his children because he goes back in Endgame to the time period around right around winter soldier no what am i thinking of um i don't know i think i think he didn't wipe anybody off because that's not a steve rogers thing he would not be that selfish but i think they are his his children he just doesn't know it when he's at the end table in winter soldier christina took the words right out of my mouth um here's my take i i really like that peggy is in the video at the smithsonian um i think that that's good closure as far as where she's at now We know that she's moved on and got married. However, you could make the argument that she's referring to the cap because, you know, he did sort of save himself. You know, when she says, 
he saved the man I was going to marry. That could be one and the same without her having to overshare and reveal too much. Um, So I think that's why the beat seeing her aged does feel a little bit jarring because now it does seem like she has a whole life outside of the cap. Um, What I wonder now, though, I mean, here's here's the thing. My answer to my own question is that, no, we did not need it for the context of this movie. And the video at the Smithsonian would have been enough. But I feel like it does pose too many questions for what we know about the end of Endgame. Because now I'm wondering if Cap did do the right thing. Because to Sean's point, I don't believe that he would have just erased people. I mean, look at what they went through to bring back half the population. So he's certainly not going to erase anyone from the timeline. I'm wondering now if he went back to honor the dance with Peggy and married someone else because he, as he tells Sam, I went back and got some of that life that Tony was talking about. So it could have been an entirely different person. And I think that seeing her photos on her nightstand is what makes it confusing because they give us just enough to see that it is not Chris Evans in those pictures. Mm -hmm. So I don't know especially because they're trying to set up a romantic link that Sharon is his granddaughter. It could be, but I'm well, wondering... Well, no, that's his aunt. That, she's the aunt, so it wouldn't be... Yes, you're right. It, I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm sorry. You are right. Um, but I'm just wondering if this sort of dilutes that final scene of Endgame is that maybe they didn't have a whole life together. Maybe they just got their dance and that was all it was ever going to be. I just think it sets up the fact that we need to know and they need to give us another movie down the line of what happened when he went back. Or Agent Carter. Give us a season two yeah, and, and have us focus on that. Yeah, agree, totally agree. Or maybe in the multiverse, there's a there is a there is a Captain um. America with a dark soul. And there would be a line <laughs> that was like, you saved every life, and he could just look over his shoulder and be like all but two and then he leaves with peggy like that wouldn't that be amazing wow interesting I, and it's so funny because his whole thing is we don't trade lives for lives yes that's Cap's, like whole thing so that's very interesting but, i mean any but this whole multiverse thing it's so confusing anything is literally possible anything so. could literally happen i mean yeah. if we manage to get zombie strange yeah. like <laughs> this could happen it, it could yeah. be a totally different darker cap yeah All right. When Nick Fury can't decrypt the data that Natasha has recovered, he becomes suspicious of what is happening inside of S.H.I.E.L.D. Secretary of Internal Security Alexander Pierce is asked by Fury to delay the project due to his concerns. Fury is later ambushed while driving through D.C. by assassins disguised as the police and led by the Winter Soldier. He escapes to Steve's apartment where he tells Steve that S.H.I.E.L.D. has been compromised. He is shot by the Winter Soldier and hands Steve a flash drive containing the data taken from the ship. Wounded, he's brought to a hospital where he dies in surgery. Or so we think. I have so many thoughts on this whole sequence that you just mentioned. Um, Again, I go back to the scroll thing. The fact that, like, Nicholas J. overrided Nicholas J. Fury. Was it a scroll? 
maybe we'll find out in Secret Invasion. I don't know. I, I That's my theory right now. I love the introduction to Robert Redford. Redford. I thought he was such a great addition to this film. 100%. I'm not surprised that at this stage of the game, they were able to get him because they were so established by this point. Mm-hmm. But I, I love that Hollywood legends are down for Marvel. Mm-hmm. It's great. So I, great. He was like the first big, like older generation, right? That came into a Marvel film too. Well, Jeff, Maybe well, Anthony Hopkins, but like, Jeff I feel like Bridges. when Robert Red, yeah, well, but the, he was until, when was he in the- Bridges uh, was in the first Iron Man. He was the villain in the first Iron Man movie. But, oh my gosh, but, but he wasn't- But he wasn't- He wasn't an Anthony Hopkins or yeah. Robert Redford. He, he was kind yeah. of the next generation after them. Like the Michelle Pfeiffer generation, but like, yeah, to me, it's like right. Michael Douglas, Robert Redford, yes. Anthony Hopkins. That That is some serious star power. So, so Anthony acquired. Hopkins was really the first, if you think about it, in yeah. terms of when these releases came. Well, Tommy Lee Jones, but even Tommy Lee Jones, oh, he right. was bigger as he got older. I yeah. put him more in like a Jeff Bridges category, though. I'm I'm thinking about like body of work and age. That's the other thing. Yeah. True. But you do have all of these legends that are now down to do it. And I, I thought Pierce was a great character. You don't trust him from mm-hmm. the minute he's on the screen. Right. Um, he ends up being one that, you know, you end up being right on. But to your point, Christina, up until this point, you've started questioning Nick Fury. I remember when we saw this for the first time, I started thinking, okay, maybe Fury's not the bad guy. Maybe doesn't have an ulterior motive. Because... Like, Redford plays Pierce like a crooked politician. Like, you're mm-hmm. saying all the right mm. things, and you're doing it with a smile, and that's why I don't trust you. Like, he, But he's absolutely brilliant in the role. Yeah, and I loved his little banter with Fury uh, when he's like, you owe me a favor, you gotta get Iron Man to, to stop by my niece's birthday, but not a flyby, he's gotta mingle. And I just love yes. how in every Iron Man film and every Captain America, there's some reference to the other. Yes. Like, I feel like it's just... And that I think those are like the only two that you really get the crossovers and all of them without getting the actual character. And I and I love the nods to them in every film. I think that that was also intentional to build to Civil War. Oh yeah. So much of this movie set up so much of the MCU, and it's crazy because you didn't realize it when you were first watching it, and then you're like, oh my gosh, this was the movie. I mean, the first Avengers too, but like, really, Winter Soldier. Yes, I love Samuel L. Jackson in this car chase. This is where, I mean, I've always thought that he was perfect casting as Nick Fury Mm -hmm. to a point where like, I forget where Fury ends and Samuel L. Jackson begins just because of the presence and and the command that he has in any scene that he's like, I almost feel like when he comes into a scene where all of the Avengers are together they like snap to attention like the print the like the principals in the room. Mm-hmm. Um, that's always just what he's exuded. But to me, like this is classic Samuel L. Jackson, where he is getting into an argument with his navigation system yeah, slash smart tech, and you know it's telling him that the window is compromised, and he's like, "You think?" Yeah. Um, I wish they would have let him go a little bit further with it. I understand that you're not going to let him curse because you don't want to. Um, 
affect the ratings, but I right. wish that they would have give, given him like one or two more quippy lines or like let him improv with it a little bit more. I think that would have been really fun. But otherwise, I love he's that, fantastic. I love that you see him like on his own for the first time. Yes. Like he's always with someone and this was like his first on his own moment and it was so well played. Can we just talk about the nod to the lightsaber when he's getting out of the car and he shoots the thing up? If it was only if it was purple, it would be like definitely his lightsaber, but... I, I love the Star Wars reference there. <laughs> I did not even catch that. Of course you did, though. Yeah, I have problems. <laughs> See, and I like if they're going to do more with Star Wars and we know that they will, like, I would love to see them do more with Mace Windu. Like, yes. it would be so good to see. But I, I don't know at this per, at this like point if we're going to see more of Samuel L. Jackson in Star Maybe. Wars get like an obi-wan season two maybe he'll make some kind of cameo in that i don't think we could have something on his own i don't know maybe but i I would love to see a little cameo from him in that yeah the the ambush in dc just to pick up on what you were saying um yeah it him in the car is very funny but i remember how shocking this was the first time that we saw it because this entire time Mm -hmm. i'm now thinking that shield has turned on him Right. We don't know anything else that's about to happen. We yeah. don't know what, and we'll get into it, you know, shortly here. I'm just thinking that Shield is dirty and has an ulterior motive, and they're not what we thought they were. This was shocking when they ambushed him the way that they did. And the reintroduction of Bucky, I remember people just being shocked. There, there was an audible yeah. gasp in the theater. This was a time when trailers weren't in your face. They didn't give everything in the movie away. This was a much simpler, more yes. meaningful time. So I remember I, I audibly gasped. I like hit the person next to me and I still apologize to him during this day because like to this day, because I like dug my nails into him at parts. Like I was stunned and I was not, you know, a fan of the comic books then. So I didn't know like this was part of the storyline. Like that shook me. So when you see like, the blurriness in the car and then it focuses on him. Oh, what a moment. And he's menacing. Yes. Like yeah. if, if you like Casey Jones from Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, but without anything that's funny. <laughs> well, we talked yeah. about, you know, Nat being the trained killer, but to me, that's what Bucky has become. Like he is just a machine. And not just because he's got this mm-hmm. vibranium arm now. I mean they have erased everything. Yeah, they, that's exactly it. He is a hired assassin. Which is why I love their dynamic in the movies. Like even like when you look to Civil War, like they have a very interesting dynamic because it's like, oh, I was you. Am I still you? I, like they kind of go back and forth with that. Yeah. I love this next scene too, where Fury and the Cap relink in the apartment. Um, you know, you get that quick, quick little beat in the hallway where we get to know Sharon a little bit more. Um, And I love how Fury is speaking to him in code. He's showing him text messages of what he's really trying to convey. And he's basically putting it out there that I don't trust anyone right now, but I do trust you. And he is trying to earn back the Cap's trust. Um, and then once this whole thing blows wide open and Sharon is revealed as Agent 13, um, I love that much like that hospital room that he was in when he came off the ice, mm-hmm. this entire thing is an elaborate setup. 
the entire house was established by S.H.I.E.L.D. to keep him safe. And they're letting him think that he's got independence, but not really. He is their property. I love that. And I love that they have, um, it's been a long, long time playing in the background, which again, with Endgame. Yes. Like all the feels when I watch that back. Um, I, I love the introduction of uh, Sharon Carter's character. Because I love Emily Van Camp. I was an, a, another character, another actor that I was a huge fan of before the show. Everwood. So the fact that she, Everwood, I mean, then I loved her in Revenge. It's funny, I'm re-watching Everwood too. And it's just so funny to think that she is now in all these like superhero movies and what she became in Falcon and the Winter Soldier. I just, I think it's so funny. But I, I love their brief. And he actually makes like references to wanting to be a superhero one day. And it's like, dude, he puts so much out in the universe. He manifested in all his roles. Yeah. The um, MCU loves them some Everwood. Yeah. <laughs> so true. Um, but I love their brief little interaction because for a moment you're like, wait a minute. He's offering her coffee. Is he taking, like, is he really changing? Is he becoming more open to the fact that he's in this time? Maybe with everything with S.H.I.E.L.D. Now he's viewing life differently. And then Fury. And it's like, he's talking about, things that I think they're starting to bring up in Secret Invasion when he's in the apartment. So that's all I'm going to say about that. But um, I love that whole scene in the apartment. And then I love when he's chased out and just blindly running through that office and the shield is just destroying everything <laughs> as he's running through. It's great. Because, I mean, we really don't get to see that. In the fight, he's so controlled. But uh-huh. this is where... You've got the cap spirit from the first Avenger of like, yeah. nope, bad guy. I'm going to save the day. I'm going to save my country. And and it's just like brute force. But we all knew, right? We all knew that Nick Fury wasn't dead. I, I know we no. all watched him go on the table. And I'm like, I don't know. There was something about it. Even when it happened, I was like, knowing that we had two more Avengers, like actual Avengers films coming, not including sequels to everyone else. I was like, he's not dead. But see, I thought, well, he's such a busy actor. I was like, maybe he's doing all these other movies and maybe this was his way of exiting. What got me was when Maria Hill watches him die and she's crying. And I'm like, oh my God, that's it. And then I started crying. I was like, he's gone. Now what's going to happen? See, Hill was actually the tell for me where I didn't think that he was really gone because, and maybe I'm overthinking it, this could be just me. There's no such thing in Marvel as overthinking it at this point. (laughs) (laughs) Which is funny because normally you tell me that I read too much into things. For me, it was her relationship to Nat. Nat has been with S.H.I.E.L.D. since Iron Man. So I feel like... You know, Hill is not new to S.H.I.E.L.D. She's obviously got this relationship with Fury. They don't really delve into it too much, but you know that they've worked together for a long time. The way that he just calls her and says, I need you here. It's, um, what did he say? It's Dark Shadow Operation, something like that. Just very few words. She picked up what he was putting down. I'll be there in four hours. No, you have three. So you can tell that they just have this shorthand communication that has been developed over time. Um, and I feel like, Natasha should have had that same familiarity with her because Natasha has been with S.H.I.E.L.D. for a while now. So I understand that it's not Nat's character where she's going to totally fall apart. She is going to be very stoic, even though her mentor is dying. Um, Did I expect them to like throw their arms around each other and cry this one out? No, I don't expect Hill to completely break down either. But I just feel like because the two of them were sort of, I don't want to say cold to each other in this scene. um, 
because I think that's too strong and they're, they're not at odds with each other. Why would they be? But I feel like just because there's no moment between them, I think that that was all intentional because we know that Fury's not really gone. So Hill's kind of like doing what she needs to do to sell this, but she just needs them to believe enough and she's not going to push it any further than that. Interesting. I was going to say, I think it's also like she didn't obviously not didn't know anything about this. I think this was like the movie where Fury was like, who can I actually trust? And maybe even after the first Avengers, they still didn't trust Natasha fully. And I think with Hill too, I feel like her and Fury were all they had. And I feel like this was the movie where she's like, okay, this is bigger than just the two of us. So I am intrigued by what you said, the different perspective, but I don't know if I agree with you on that. So the next day, Pierce has a conversation with Steve regarding Fury and accuses Nick of hiring pirates to steal the data off the ship and the secrets of S.H.I.E.L.D. When Steve refuses to give up all of the info regarding his last conversation with Nick, he realizes that members of S.H.I.E.L.D. and Strike, who are the counterterrorism unit of S.H.I.E.L.D., are now hunting him. He fights off Agent Rumlow and his men and escapes the headquarters. Now a fugitive on the run, Steve meets with Natasha, who tells him that the Winter Soldier killed Fury, but no one believes that he is more than a ghost story. Project Insight is immediately put back into place while Natasha hacks into the flash drive, bringing S.H.I.E.L.D.'s agents to the Apple store at the mall where they open the files. So a lot starts to happen here very quickly. It, I mean, it, it becomes a little bit convoluted for, for films that have done a very good job for the most part of moving quickly but not confusing you and i think again and, and it'll be the last time i say it because it you know i don't want to keep repeating myself i think it is because it is the fugitive right it's that fugitive caper yeah. film it's not a regular marvel film but in this case it, they're just throwing so much at you and so much at you in so little time and you're cutting back and forth we're here we're here we're here we're here this one's talking this one's talking we trust you we don't trust you it, it becomes almost too much in a very tight window. I don't know. I think the pacing is really good, particularly in that elevator scene. I love <laughs> when the cap starts piecing everything together. You could cut that tension with a knife. It's incredible. S such a great scene. That is one of my favorite Marvel scenes. It really is. Um, and like, I didn't even realize that they were all going to be bad until he starts looking around. And like the fact that he could piece it together, I'm like, well, he's a lot smarter than I thought he was. And then when he says, before we get started, does anyone want to get out? Oh, another fantastic line from the film. Love it. And this is where I think it's really balanced because you get that Marvel feel of like, okay, the cap is going to take everyone down. And mm -hmm. The scene contained in the elevator does feel like a political thriller, but where they elevate it to Marvel standards is that yep. now he has no escape. They're chasing him down. He's going to crash through the elevator, crash through the top floor of the dome, survive the fall. And now you have like that hovercraft coming after him and he can take that down too. And this is where it starts to feel like a more perfect blend of the political thriller with Captain America, uh -huh. because really there was a moment where I was like, is he really going to take down this entire thing with his shield? But no, he, he is because he's the cap and he can do that. Yeah. And I remember the first time I saw it, I actually liked the character of Romlo. And I, yes. that 
when he was in the elevator and he's fighting against him, I was like, what is happening? I was like rooting for him. I thought they were going to set him up as another character to fight alongside Steve. So then when he's Hydra, it's like, what? <laughs> right. Or or if Cap is in the air, he's like the man on the ground. Yeah. I yeah. thought he was going to be his inside man. Totally. I thought he was going to have more of a role than Sam eventually did. I thought Sam was just going to be like the regular guy that he talks to, he relates to, and there's the banter, the wittiness. But I, I thought it was going to be Romlo. I really did. Or that Sam and Romlo were going to be working together yeah. while the Cap was doing something bigger with mm-hmm. with Nick Fury or something like that. Um, yeah. The only thing that I bump on in this sequence is when he's reunited with Natasha because she saw him put the hard drive into the vending machine. I love how she comes back and she lets him know she's got it by popping the bubble gum. I think that's really clever. Um, And I like seeing them, you know, completely undercover running around in street clothes. Um, But I feel like this sexual tension is so unnecessary. And maybe this was a challenge that they ran into with trying to, Uh, develop her character because you still have to sort of strike the balance of well she was the femme fatale but now we're going to strip those layers down and see what she's really about but being that it goes nowhere and she's eventually going to have a sort of romance with Bruce why did we need it like the kiss is funny on the escalator as they're trying to just to escape as a distraction but even just in the moment where he pulls her aside in the hospital and they're just like face to face really close I feel like, I don't know, I just feel like it's unnecessary. And I don't know if they were doing that to lean into the are they or aren't they, or if it's just by virtue of like, you have Scarlett Johansson and she's going to be sexy no matter what. I just don't feel like we needed it. I don't think there's sexual like tension between them. I think that's just what she exudes as her character. I really don't think, I think it's more of a, will they won't they be friends like they're going to connect on that level i feel like that's where the tension lies also do you guys think it would be believable that he would put a flash drive in a vending machine no no that's that's the loophole i have with this movie i don't think captain america would and you could visibly see it yes. like that's the part that i'm like that's weird i like that they did that though i like that he knew he couldn't trust shield and yes. he couldn't have that on him and he had to stash it somewhere but like, obviously she was going to find, she was still there. She was, yeah. I, I mean, she was like just out of frame. Yeah. She was a spy who didn't trust him and you're going to leave it in the same place where she still is. I don't know. <laughs> also, how did he get it in there without the the guy, the vending machine guy, not see that, you know, that's just weird to me. That's what I was thinking. I didn't catch it the first time I watched it. And then as I went back through, I was like, okay, the door's open. We've established that he didn't like reach mm-hmm. underneath and put it in. But like <laughs> that guy didn't notice there wasn't that much yeah. gum in front of it. Well, right. that's the thing, right? It's like if it would have made sense if you put it behind, you know, a bag of chips or like a pack of Skittles, yes. you could like bend it around. Yeah, I mean, and it's, I get it's you have very to see much it in clear the, sight. Yeah, and I get you have to see it so we can see it as the audience. Yes. but like, eh, that's not that believable. Yeah, this is kind of in the big picture of how good this film is. This is kind of weak sauce, but yes, I'll give it a yes, pass. I agree. Yeah. <laughs> After hacking into the drive, Natasha and Steve head to New Jersey. Marvel likes to go to New Jersey. It is like Stephen <laughs> King going to Maine. Is someone 
from Jersey that's like high up in Marvel. Is that why? <laughs> it, it had to maybe Stan Lee. I thought Stan Lee was from Brooklyn, but maybe he's from Jersey. I, I don't know. I thought Brooklyn. he was from Brooklyn. And I think that's why like Kid from Brooklyn hit so much. Even though he didn't write Captain America. I don't think he developed Captain America. But yes, I think as he played on longer and certainly became an executive producer in the films that became such a big thing well anyway he, uh, is, he is from brooklyn i just googled it. so but we're going back to new jersey where the second worst thing to happen in new jersey was uh was the scarlet witch showing up um and they find a hidden shield bunker there they find a supercomputer from decades prior. However, it can read the flash drive, and we see that Dr. Zola's mind now lives within the computer after he had been recruited by S.H.I.E.L.D. He also tells them that he relaunched HYDRA within S.H.I.E.L.D., and that Project Insight will launch an attack that will see through HYDRA's quest for world domination. HYDRA... Or, excuse me, S.H.I.E.L.D. then launches a missile and destroys the bunker as Steve and Natasha narrowly escape. So we finally have payoff from all of this back and forth that we had previous, where you don't know who to trust. Why is this happening? Why is S.H.I.E.L.D. turning on us? All of the questions are finally answered here. Um, I think it's great that we got Dr. Zola back. And I love that Hydra still exists and that they bided their time because Hydra fell with the Nazis. That's how we saw the end of Captain America, the first Avenger. The fact that they like low key kept this going and that Zola, because remember I had said at one point last week, I yep. said, do you feel bad for Zola? Is he in over his head? Is this more than he thought it was going to be? Was he one of these scientists or doctors that just followed marching orders to save his own skin? Because God knows there were a lot of them. No, he is as evil as the Red Skull. And I love that it pays off and I feel stupid seven days later, <laughs> which is not uncommon. For, it's not uncommon for me anyway. But I feel stupid seven days later for all of the right reasons. Oh, I feel totally validated because what I said to you last week was that I thought at first he was being bullied. But then in the scene where Phillips has him captured and he's questioning him, he's being very cocky. This is why. It's because he knew the whole time he had a plan B and he was basically going to resurrect himself. And that's why he didn't take a cyanide pill. Oh my God! Wow! You put your—you're hurting me. I'm sorry. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, no holes. They leave no holes in Marvel. It's absolutely incredible. Jackie just grabbed me as she had this I'm moment sorry. of clarity. It was a moment. <laughs> that was like a splash mountain grab there. Sorry. <laughs> um, the only thing that I bump on in this scene, we don't need to see the ghosts at Camp Lehigh. I love that they went back to Jersey. I love, especially they deliver on the line um, when Natasha says uh, the file is from here and his answer is, well, so am I. Um, So I like that we do return to his past. I love that we see the flagpole because that was such a big moment, but I don't need to see his squad running by. This entire film is about him reconciling his past so this is two on the nose. We don't need to see the ghost. Although I will say this, if it was Tommy Lee Jones, I would overlook the whole thing. <laughs> I would have no notes. 
See, I think it was just to, again, to establish like what's on the line for him. Was this all worth it? I, I, I get what you're saying. My sister actually, so we recently went back and we rewatched all of them and she hadn't seen a lot of them. So she didn't pay attention to the first Captain America movie at all. So for her, she appreciated that they like showed the stuff again. She's like, oh, right, right. So I think for the casual fan, it was important. But I think for like the diehard like us, like that look at everything in a movie, wasn't necessary. But I feel like you also do get it because once they break in, um, once he figures out, you know, that the building and, and I love that they did that, too. And he's he's yes. looking into the um, the history of it. And he was like, no, they would never keep ammunition here. This building is all wrong. Once he figures that out, you do get um, the photos of Phillips and Agent Carter and Howard Stark. Right. And I love that they paid attention to detail, not just for the fans, but that they at least hat tipped a movie that was produced under a different company. And they still honored the those Russo actors brothers. that way. Yeah. Yep. They're incredible. They're so brilliant. They're incredible. At Pierce's home, the winter soldier arrives and is debriefed by Pierce, uh, who then kills his housekeeper for overhearing their conversation. Steve and Natasha return to D.C. where they go to Sam for hiding. Natasha struggles with her present mirroring her past and Steve tells her that he now trusts her. Sam shows them files from his last mission where he exposes that he was a Falcon and that one suit still exists. They get the suit and capture S.H.I.E.L.D. agent Jasper, Sit uh, Jasper Sitwell, who is also a member of HYDRA. He tells them Zola's algorithm that detects individuals who become threat to Hydras and that the InSight helicarriers will travel the world, killing the threats. The group is then attacked by the Winter Soldier, who kills Sitwell. After fighting him off, Steve recognizes that Bucky is the Winter Soldier. So an awful lot going on here. Starting, You were shaking your head as soon as I brought up that uh, Pierce had to kill his uh, his poor housekeeper who just forgot her phone on the kitchen counter. I know. So unnecessary. I mean, it is. But at the same time, you said earlier that, you know, you can't trust him from the beginning because he is like a crooked politician. He does everything with a smile. But now you see how evil he truly is and that it's just going to get worse and that he's not going to care about anyone's agenda but his own. So it's sad that it had to happen, but it is a good character moment. Yeah. You see what level of evil he really is in that moment that I remember the first time I saw that, I was like, what just happened? And then you just despise the man on every level. I love that at this point, even though they've had very little time together, that Cap is bonded enough with Sam where that's his safe place to go. That's a great line when they say everyone we know is trying to kill us. And he says, not everyone. And then it's like, okay, there's trust. What's about to happen? I actually was not too familiar with Falcon. So when he gave them the file that said Falcon, I didn't know what was about to happen. So then when they're teaming up and you see him fly, it was like, what? Like, okay, he's going to be a, a superhero now. Also, I think it's amazing that scene that's right before that, where he's sitting on the table and he's calling, um, sit well that establishes who falcon is as a character that is the most like falcon setup because he's like he's got that little attitude that banter and then he's like i mean business like oh so cool i love him i love yeah i love uh the line to consider this my resume yeah yeah 
I am so excited to get more of him as Captain America. Like, I think it's going to be like a phenomenal transition uh, from one to the next. Because you're right, like, I kind of forgot that this is how he was the Falcon. Again, like in retrospect, everything has become so convoluted because now we have so many more Marvel films. And I'm sure to the point that Christina made earlier, Around the time that this movie came out, I remembered that this is how he was the Falcon. By the time I got to sit and watch this this week, I was like, oh, the Falcon, yeah, that was that was Stark technology that came up in some movie. You, you know, you, you kind of yeah. do forget that this is how it was um, and that he carries such pain from losing his, you know, his best friend. His Bucky. You know, his Bucky, mm-hmm. uh, his wingman. So I love that that comes to light and I love that they're going to pay off on all of it like there's no yeah. when it comes to this particular part of the movie there's no wasted dialogue there's no wasted scene what I also and I love the trio too that they established with yes. Cap uh, Natasha and Falcon which we'll then see again in Infinity War but I loved the whole dynamic where like he's going to push him over the edge and they're like that's not your style and he's like no it's hers and then falcon grabs her like i just oh i think their dynamic is wonderful <laughs> that is such a great misdirect i love that scene and what an epic transition from sam into falcon that is such a strong introduction to falcon yes. but i also love that i feel like he's doing this for steve his friend steve and not for captain america yeah, yeah. it's why you know you can trust him or that he can trust the situation that the cap is putting him in. But to me, this is just like, we're bros. I I recognize Mm -hmm. what you've done. And, you know, there's just that mutual respect and he's going to follow cap to the end of the line. I know it's not his line, but I, it it is a big theme in this one. But speaking of that line, we, at this point, as the audience, most of us, I think, knew that Bucky was the Winter Soldier. But when Steve sees that Bucky is the Winter Soldier, so powerful. what a shocking reveal. And it is yeah, when, so I mean, well when, done. When just his goggles or glasses, whatever, fall off and you see the eyes, it, like, confirms that it's him. But then when that mask comes off and, like, you feel how, like, shook up. Steve is that is that is a moment also can we just talk about the fact that what's his um I can't think of his name now he says when he's talking about um Zola's algorithm and he drops Stephen Strange's name like way before we ever yep. know about yes. it yes like, going yep. back and watching it I'm like how did I not even realize that Jasper yeah um yeah, yeah that's him uh yeah that blew my mind too I was like wait did they just say and then I had to like wait I was like timeline order has strange been introduced like no this was a plant so early on i i love that um christina mentioned you know you've got this great trio in nat the falcon and cap but what i love that they also set up here is this triangle between the cap's first best friend and his new best friend and it's wild to think that this is how falcon and winter soldier are meeting when you think about what their relationship is now i love their relationship like even when they hate each other i just the whole thing their whole dynamic is just brilliant and i I love them in real life together too because their like chemistry is i feel like what really carried 
the success of those characters. They're hysterical. We didn't love Captain and I'm sorry. Oh my goodness. We didn't love Falcon and Winter Soldier our first time around, but now after we get through Civil War, I would be very curious to watch it again and yep. see if our opinion changes. I think it will at this point. Before we move on, I have one more note about this fight. I love all the stuff on the bridge, but I feel like once they take this to the streets, it starts to feel like a Snyder cut. This is the one area where I feel like in a film that has other been otherwise been paced very, very well, it starts to drag a bit. Um, but it sort of does get redeemed because... I didn't recognize it back then, but we should have realized what a big deal it was when Bucky's arm punches the shield. Um, the Russo brothers paid attention because you have a noise that is very spe specific to vibranium on vibranium. If it was vibranium and any other type of metal, it would have clanged differently. But they even, down to the sound design, managed to plant it then. That... This is going to be a huge detail for later on. I love that. Oh, yeah. So, Steve, Natasha, and Sam are captured by Strike. However, Agent Hill breaks them free and brings them to a safe house where they are reunited with Fury, who faked his own death. Meanwhile, Bucky has a flashback where he sees that Zola saved him with the hope of making him the face of Hydra. He begins to remember his past, infuriating Pierce, who tells him that he needs to complete one last mission for mankind and orders his memory wiped clean and reset. At the safe house, Fury and Hill tell the trio that they need to intercept the helicarriers before they reach 3,000 feet linked to the satellites and become operational. Steve tells them that this must end both Hydra and S.H.I.E.L.D. Maybe I'm in the minority, but I, I said it before. Not a shocker when we saw Nick Fury back, but maybe that's just me. I thought it was more of a shocker when Maria Hill was in the car. Yes, ma'am. Because you're like, oh, because she hasn't had a solo moment without Fury when you think about it. So, like, this was her moment. The only flaw I have with that is... How did they disappear from the vehicle? Like they cut a hole in the vehicle. How did no one else in those vans see four rather large human beings disappear? Like drop like, through the floor of a car, a moving vehicle. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, which I, I know Steve could do and I know they could all do it, but like, how did they get away with it? Same thing with Fury. Like how did they do that whole maneuver? See, I wasn't even thinking that because what I appreciate most about this scene, I mean, we've talked about it on the show. We are huge fans of How I Met Your Mother. So yeah. we love an Agent Hill, Aunt Robin moment. I love her growth in this film from Avengers yeah. to now. I love that she gets her solo moment, to your point. And I absolutely love this reveal. What I really appreciate, though, is we were talking about it before, is that this film doesn't waste a lot of time with exposition. So I love that we hear her ask, hey, who's this guy? We don't need mm -hmm. to hear the explanation of, oh, well, he's, you know, we met him this way. Da -da -da -da. I love that they cut out of it. And I'm so focused on that positive. I didn't realize that that is something that you really shouldn't cut away from is how they managed to escape. Yeah, which I guess that would be a long that would take up time in the movie. But. I just don't understand how all these vehicles, especially there were other vehicles behind them. It's a caravan. Yeah. How did they not, how did they not catch that? Right. It's also wild to me to see that Bucky's memory is being wiped and reset because it lends to the ghost story dialogue from earlier where they say that he's got like two dozen kills 
two dozen assassinations in 70 years is what I think. And they say that's why they think he's nothing more than a ghost story. But every time, and you could, what I love is that you can tell that it's not the first time that they've done this. It's not the first time that he's prepared himself for it because he knows exactly what Mm -hmm. the procedure is going to be. Mm -hmm. So how many times in his life has he questioned, has he had flashbacks and he's just a good soldier and just lets them wipe them clean every time. I wonder if they ever did, well, maybe when they do Captain America four, I was going to say if they ever did another like Falcon and the winter soldier season, but if maybe in, in cap four, maybe we'll get more flashbacks to those other times that his memory was erased. Cause I, I feel like there's a story there that could, could be explored a little bit. I agree. I Especially also... like, did Peggy know maybe Peggy knew maybe like, like Peggy knew somehow Ooh. he was captured. Like there's, there's so much that could happen there. Yeah, that's really interesting. Oh, I hope they lean into that. Yeah. I also love that despite all the trust issues, Fury still wants to believe in S.H.I.E.L.D. And that that becomes a little bit, it temporarily becomes a little bit of a bone of contention between him and Steve because Steve is like, nope, S.H.I.E.L.D.'s done. S.H.I.E.L.D.'s done, done, Hydra's done, we can't trust anybody. But Nick is just still, in spite of it all, he still wants to believe in S.H.I.E.L.D. It's like his the love of his life, Shield. I feel like that was the one thing that he knew and he trusted in, and now that's being taken uh, taken away from him. You're absolutely right, especially when you factor in when he goes to Steve's apartment and he says um, he's talking about his wife. Like this is his marriage. It it is his hmm. marriage. It is his baby. Like he's going to live and die by Shield. Um, but somebody else had said it. I forget who delivers the line that Shield and Hydra are two sides of the same coin. So that's why the Cap recognizes that it one one can't as as long as one is around, the other is going to be. So they both have to go. Uh-huh. And I love the passing of the baton from Fury to Captain as far as who's going to to lead this now. And it yeah. does really make way for the Avengers. I love. That he steals the suit out of the Smithsonian, by the way. Oh, oh. my God. So That's great. amazing. And then, like, his moment walking up with the suit, too, is such a good payback to the first Captain America film. Like, I, the, there's just so much that was well done in this film. Yeah. Like a broken record. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, buckle in, because I'm basically taking us to the end of the movie at this point. Okay. Because a lot does happen, but you, like... But it's all the same scene. Like, you really yeah. can't break any of this up because you'd just be interrupting the next important thing that happens. So yeah. It's cause and effect. But yeah, no, I, I think that's the way to do it. Yeah. So at headquarters, Steve announces to everyone that Hydra has moles within S.H.I.E.L.D. and they will do anything that they can to bring S.H.I.E.L.D. down. And that's why we need to take down the helicarriers and do everything that we can to stall the launch. The World Security Council is shocked to learn that Pierce was behind all of this and that S.H.I.E.L.D. and HYDRA agents are now fighting each other as Rumlow initiates the launch. As Pierce holds the council at gunpoint, Natasha exposes that she was disguised as a member and disarms him. Sam and Steve fight off Hydra uh, soldiers while working to stop the helicarriers from reaching their height. Natasha, meanwhile, uploads all of S.H.I.E.L.D.'s files to the internet, exposing not only Hydra, but herself in the process. Sam replaces two of the controller chips on the helicarriers with two of the ones that had been developed by Fury and Hill, disabling their flights. On the third ship, Steve and Sam are intercepted by Bucky, 
who is now the Winter Soldier again. Initially, Steve fights Bucky off as he attempts to disable the third helicarrier. Pierce kills the remaining members of the council and threatens to kill Natasha as well. Sam fights Rumlow while Bucky shoots Steve, preventing him from installing the third controller temporarily. Steve, though, is able to insert the controller just as the weapons come online. He orders Hill to use the helicarriers to attack and destroy each other. Fury shoots Pierce dead as the third helicarrier crashes into headquarters. Fury and Natasha rescue Sam while Steve and Bucky are stuck on the third ship. Steve refuses to fight Bucky any longer and tells him about their past, which Bucky does not believe as he wants to finish his mission. Steve tells him that he is with him until the end of the line and falls from the carrier into the water where he is rescued by Bucky and left on the shore. Steve wakes up in the hospital where Sam is playing the Trouble Man soundtrack for him, which he had told him to listen to earlier in the film. Hydra moles are arrested. Natasha explains her actions on Capitol Hill to the Department of Defense, while Nick burns the remaining evidence of S.H.I.E.L.D. before telling Steve that there is more Hydra to be found. Natasha... Before going into hiding, hands Steve Bucky's file, and he and Sam then pursue him to get him back. There is literally no way to interrupt any of this to go into another conversation. But to your point, Jack, there's also just a lot of cause and effect. This happens, and then this happens, and then this happens. I feel like we're going to spend less time breaking this down than I did just laying all of it out. Yeah, I mean, I think that's consistent with the pacing of this movie, though. And I like that it doesn't drop off in the end. It's still, you know, they've built to this tension, but it's still going. Um, I think that would have been sort of disappointing if they just, like, sort of let that all go. I agree. Um, I like how this starts off, though, with the Cap making this speech over the intercom. Um, I think that is so smart. It's so of his character, you know. Yeah. That's the technology that he's going to know how to use. It didn't have to be like this big thing. He's not going to fire a mass text out. Like this is just so in character for him. And I love what it does to all of these shield agents who are looking around. Who do I trust? Is it the person sitting next to me? Um, And I really love the refusal to launch the, um, the helicarrier, the helicarriers. Thank you. Um, I, this is a, this is a great scene. It's awesome. I think it establishes to what Cap's great at being a leader. Like Tony Stark yes. is great being a leader with technology, but Cap is like your leader. Like he's gonna bring you all together. And also, like as someone in radio, like speaking voices, I'm just very drawn to. And like his whole speech the whole time, I just think is oh goosebumps. Um, I also love Sam's little thing with. Did you write that down first, or that's just <laughs> off the top of your head? Like I, I love that line. And I love how then you see in the room, like all the agents, like the guns pointing in every different direction, like his speech really divided people. And it continues to do that in the Marvel movies. I mean, look at look at Civil War. Um, But I think that speech and then watching everyone get ready for battle is so well done. It's a great moment for Sharon, too. Yes. Yeah, like that's when you see she might stick around for a minute. Yes, Like she might not just be in this one movie. Yeah. I also love that we see the council in shock because the whole time I'm thinking that the council's in bed with Pierce. Same. And that yes. the, all, Same. the fact that even they were in the dark on this and that their concerns and their motivation was pure. I think, I mean, and, I mean, they're killed off almost immediately after that, but I, I felt like 
what it did more than anything else was legitimize a villain that was already legit and it put him over the top. I love yeah. to, um, because you think it's a throwaway line that he says all of the access is biometrics. So he gives them the little badges to wear and he's like, this will give you access anywhere. And that ultimately is their demise. Um, you know, it's planted on them right away. What do we think of the Natasha reveal? Because you know immediately that this woman in the, you know, the skirt and blazer, as soon as she starts busting these moves, you're like, wait, is that Natasha? But as far as the face warp, what do we think of that? Because this is technology we've not seen before. Not even I from Tony. I didn't like it the first time I saw it because I was like, oh, they've had this the whole time. Why haven't they used it before? But yes. I, since watching Black Widow where they do use it, I'm like, oh, this was something that she had from her spy days that maybe she wasn't comfortable using then but after shield the demise of shield you know maybe that made her break like i just appreciate it more now but the first time i was like oh that's different that's weird but now now i get it i forgot all about it being in black widow because that's what i mm-hmm. thought it came so far out of left field and i was like wait a second they've never confirmed that this is stark like is it she like where did this thing come from but no that's just something that she pulled out of her bag of tricks and it really does <sighs> wow okay that is a really great character moment for her because now we've been struggling with she wants people to trust her mm-hmm. and they're not sure that they can, but she used something from her checkered past to help out now. Wow, that is a really great character moment for her. I and it's, the, you know, it's her mask coming off to reveal who she truly is. It it doesn't bother, the tech doesn't bother me, especially because, you know, like like you said, in retrospect, it, it pays off. I more wish that we would have seen a little bit of doubt in the councilwoman, because somehow they all get invited to be at the launch of the helicarrier, and she just happens to not arrive. So I don't believe that Natasha subdued her, because we would have seen it. That tells me that somewhere in there, she had some sort of doubt, either of Pierce or the project. And I wish that we would have just seen something. I mean, it would have given away the surprise, of course. Uh But I wish that we would have just seen a little bit as to what prevented her from being there and why why Natasha took her place. I think they probably skimmed over that because this sequence is already lengthy and they didn't want to make it into like what happens with Civil War, with the the airport scene. Like, I don't think they wanted to extend it too too much they could have you're right they could have but uh I think it was it was pretty well done yeah I mean do I think that she's stuffed in a broom closet somewhere no but it would have been (laughs) nice to establish like where she it like did she even make it to shield headquarters and is she in on this or did Natasha just pull one over on everyone I would have rather them spent a little bit more time here and just even with a throwaway line to cover it than have the fights drag on as long as they do. How do we feel about uh, Bucky and Steve, this final battle? And and I feel like we, as the audience, have been obviously waiting for it the whole time. Once Steve is able to disable the helicarriers, none of us are surprised that he doesn't want to fight Bucky. But at any point... 
Did any of us think that Bucky was going to snap out of it during this fight? And were any of us surprised that he didn't? Because I'll tell you, I thought the whole time he's going to snap out of it and they're going to escape together. And it never happened. And I forgot that it didn't happen. And and sitting here and watching it as a revisit, I was still surprised it never came up. I think the big thing was that he realizes then he's not the strong, unstoppable force. Like, I think that was the click for him that he starts to realize, wait, I'm not this weapon. I can't defeat him. Like, he's being trapped, like all this stuff. And then I think when Steve starts saying to him, I'm with you to the end of the line, I think it starts to shift more. Um, but I do, it doesn't fully shift until that end credit scene where he's at the museum. I think that's when he's like, right. wait a minute. So I think it's just like slow clicks in, in a circle, like in a, in a turn for him. See, this is where the film kind of loses me and it doesn't have that rewatchability because I mentioned it before when they're fighting in the street, I felt like it dragged a little bit. I feel like this drags a little bit. I mean, there is a lot going on, and I think otherwise it's paced well as far as cutting back and forth, showing what's going on with Pierce, with Fury, with here and there. Like, even the Falcon stuff I love, seeing what he can really do as far mm-hmm. as, like, because he's small, he can do the air fight, but get an entire flying vehicle to turn on itself because he can get into those yeah. tight corners where nobody can. And then, for me, that energy comes to like a screeching halt when we get to this showdown that we've been waiting for between cap and Bucky. Um, I just, and this is just personal taste. I don't love when films do this to begin with, when they take two equal opponents, even though they are worthy adversaries, but they are of similar structure. They have similar strengths and they pit them up against each other because they're going to be locked in battle And then what happens? Like, to me, the only film that ever managed to do this successfully, because they call it out, is Pirates of the Caribbean. The first one. When Jack and Barbosa are fighting, and Barbosa says to him, we're we're two immortals locked in this. What are we going to do? Like, are are we going to keep banging away at these swords? Or, or like, you know, we can do do this all day, but we, (laughs) we have to stop somewhere. And I like that it is self-referential in that way. And here, it's kind of like, you know, one of them's not really going to give on the other one until the cap finally relents. And um, he's the one who says, because when, once he recognizes that he is Bucky's mission, his priority and his loyalty is still to Bucky. So... Where I do feel the battle is long, I feel like this is a really good place to leave the character in for this film because he is sacrificing himself for someone else. And that should feel old and annoying at this point. But because he's still trying to figure out who he is in this time, it almost doesn't matter to him. And he doesn't need to fill a role to the country really at this point or to shield he's still going to fill his initial role as Bucky's friend and that's what it dials back to and that's what ultimately ends this fight but I feel like we could have gotten there a little bit quicker instead of having like this knockdown drag out thing I mean I feel that about just about every fight in Marvel movies like they could be just a smidge quicker um you said Sean did you were you expecting Bucky to snap out of it I wasn't because 
I knew that there was going to be another movie follow-up with this. And if he snapped out of it, well, we wouldn't have had Civil War. So it, it did make sense. I was surprised that he saved him and just like dragged him and like left him on the beach. That was a little surprising to me, but I think he was so, so conflicted at that moment. Um, but back to you, Jack, when you're saying these two people fighting against each other, I think it wasn't like one's going to win. It was just like, can I get Bucky to be Bucky again? Yeah, I I like that he snaps out of it enough to recognize maybe not who Steve represents to him, but snaps out enough where he's like, this guy is the key to my past. So I do have mm-hmm. to save him. It's not about their friendship for Bucky at this moment. It's just like, I need to figure out who I am and I can't do it without this guy. Um, so I like that there was just enough for him to save Cap. Um, and you also sort of do take Bucky back to that soldier mentality of I'm, I'm not just going to let my fellow man drown. So I like this end for Bucky. I like for Bucky leaving Cap on the beach, but as, as much as I just said, I love where we're leaving the character with this decision of letting Bucky finish his mission. I don't love that. We literally have him just stranded on this beach. I feel like we could have just done it. Not that it needed to be any longer, but I just don't like physically leaving him in this place. I love the very end of the movie for Natasha, where she's yes. standing on Capitol Hill yes. and the Department of Defense basically said, and I'm paraphrasing, you know, we could take you in. We could arrest you right now. And she goes, you could, but you won't. And literally just gets up and walks. Yep. Out. Like, it's such a great moment for her. And now she knows she's got to go into hiding as well. So I, I just feel like as far as a character arc goes and as far as leaving her in a really interesting place, that was the way to do it. And this is where people get so upset that the Black Widow movie didn't come earlier because this is where you should have had it. Not after the fact. I feel mm-hmm. like this would have been a good insert. I also love these end credits. Um, are they a total ripoff of James Bond? Yes. Do I care? Sure. No. I think they did a great job wrapping up the characters enough so you know where they're going, but not like being a major cliffhanger like Marvel has become. I feel like it tied a bow on things quite nicely. You know there's more to come. You're satisfied for now. I I think they ended it perfectly. And nothing beats, you know, in the hospital room where he does the on your left again. It's just, it's wonderful. I love that they called it back. I mean, obviously in Endgame, yes, but I love that they even did it here. Final thoughts on Captain America, the Winter Soldier. We will let our guest go first. Well, I think you guys know that I think it's a pretty solid film all around. (laughs) Um, I mean, even like the little couple of minor flaws that I have are not enough to deter me from the way I feel about this film. And the more I watch it, and maybe this will happen for you guys, the more I love it. I loved it the first time around. I especially loved it after Civil War and Endgame and all those films. And I, I, I think it's still is high up on the list for me. And I, and I get why other people really do love it, but I also get why other people don't because this doesn't have the Marvel grandiose film that something like the Avengers has, or even a guardians film has. So I I do understand both sides of the story, but a big fan all around. Like I said, see, for me, I see where it's polarizing, but I was always sort of caught in the middle of it. I never disliked this film, but because it's so tonally different and it doesn't always feel like a Marvel film, it does feel more political and and like a thriller than anything else. Um, that's what kind of lost me on it. And the other thing too that we haven't really talked about yet is that 
I guess what has always felt like it was missing for me here is the rest of the Avengers. Because this is so intertwined with S.H.I.E.L.D., um, I always felt like it was lacking the rest of them or that you needed some kind of Tony appearance or a Bruce Banner appearance or just something because it does feel so tied to that world. Um, but now after reviewing it, and I think that's why I haven't gone back for the rewatches that much because it just sort of, you know, I'm like, it's not an Avengers film, but now after rewatching it and certainly after talking about it, I realize that that is a strength of this film because Iron Man, while he wasn't the first Avenger, he was the original and he had his own villains to face in his trilogy. Thor is from a completely different realm. So of course you're going to have all of those villains. And that's why Avengers, if anything else, it feels more like it skews towards a Thor movie because Loki is your villain. So with the cap, you know, he did have his own battle to face in the first Avenger, but I guess it always felt sort of weird to me that we are so tied to S.H.I.E.L.D. Um, that it wasn't, this wasn't a storyline for the entire group. Um, and looking at it now, that was probably the bi- the biggest success is because now we are going to transition to dissolving S.H.I.E.L.D. and putting the emphasis on the Avengers. Um so I, I like it a lot more after talking through it and after this rewatch. And now it is certainly something that I'm going to go back to and revisit more often. And I, I think that's going to be necessary with what they're doing with Secret Invasion now. Um, yep. So I, I look forward to you guys watching the other episodes of Secret Invasion because I'm expecting a couple of text messages um, <laughs> about stuff we talked about today. <laughs> I think I think tomorrow night we'll be able to catch up on some more. But yeah, um, I'm still I'm less in the middle. I'm not, um, you know, I definitely don't lean one way or the other, but I certainly like it more than I ever did in my first couple of viewings. So for me, I'll take it. <laughs> so here's the thing for me. I have often said that the two most complete trilogies for Marvel are Guardians of the Galaxy and Captain America because all yes. three films in both franchises stand on their own as being very good movies. I still think this is a very good movie. Dark World, awful. Iron Man 2, awful. Hulk, we're not I don't we're not as far as I know, we you know, I don't think there's anything on the horizon right now. We only got the one. So, like this is a complete trilogy. It's very good. I think this is a very good movie. To me, it's best top 10, probably falling more in that 10 to 13 range. But it's not because the movie's not good. It's just because there are so many other great Marvel movies. Like, my opinion, I've already given you my top three. So looking at it from like the 30,000 foot view, of the three Captain America movies, For me, it's number three. I don't think that this one is as good as any of the Guardians movies, so that automatically puts it to six. I don't think it's as good as the first Avengers movie, so that puts it to seven. It's not as good as Endgame, so it puts it to eight. It's not as good as Black Panther, so now it falls to nine. So somewhere, it's gonna, to me, and and I'm not even sure that it's as good as Wakanda Forever. Like, it's very close. So Mm -hmm. I 
feel like it falls somewhere in that 9 to 12, but that doesn't mean that it's bad. I mean, when you right. when you look at it, is it, I mean, it's maybe, I mean, uh, well, again, very polarizing. It's better than Doctor Strange, but I don't know if it's better than Multiverse of Madness. But that's a very polarizing movie because well, you, know you have to love Sam Raimi. In fact... We right. are uh, in and a I'm minority for, and, that we love Multiverse and, of and, Madness and, so much. And, and notice, nowhere in there have I said any of the Spider-Man movies that Tom Holland has done. And, like, that pr- one or two of those probably jumps ahead of this, too. So it's not a bad range. It's just that the quality of film, by and large, is so high in Marvel it's very difficult to rank it higher than that for me at least. But I think what the beauty of Marvel is is that there's something for everyone, and there's yeah. so many movies that no one person, like I'm sure you two don't have similar. I I would be really interested to hear your ranking episode because I think you're going to have very different movies in different places. I think that everyone's got the one thing they love about Marvel, and if you like looked at my top three, mine is. Winter Soldier, Endgame, and Civil War. So there's a common theme of what I really resonate towards in Marvel. And it's none of the same movies in, in your top three. So it's a very, uh, you know, Marvel has some, like I said, something for everyone, a different character arc or someplace where you relate to the movies, or maybe it's visually what you love, but mine have like a common theme, those three movies. So yeah, we are going to have to do our Marvel ranking episode sooner rather than later, aren't we? We are. Yeah. We are going to have to do it soon. And I think that now is as good a time as any because it seems like we have a little bit of break from the MCU. So now is a good time. And then we get to re-rack it and try it again in three years. That's good. uh, Let it breathe. Yes. Let it breathe. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Christina, thank you so much for joining us again on Monorail Radio. Why don't you put it out there and let people know everywhere where they can find you? Yes, to see your Chris Evans interview and otherwise. Well, I, I'm a radio personality. That's how I met Jackie and Sean through radio. So I'm on a radio station on Long Island, Walk 97.5. In Connecticut, I'm on Star 99.9. I also do a Disney YouTube channel, which I'm going to have to have you guys on the channel. I, I was thinking about this when I was logging on today. You guys have never been on any of my videos. We've, We've gotten never been multiple shout outs, which we appreciate because yeah, well, of our I- matching spirit jerseys. I <laughs> <laughs> have not all worn at the same time. <laughs> All right, maybe so that's what we like, can do. We can come on the YouTube channel and we will wear these jerseys. Perfect, perfect. Actually, if you ever want to do like a Marvel ranking episode on YouTube too, maybe the three of us can sit down together one time and, and do that or even, because like, I feel like you can really, like we can do like a whole visual thing with that. Um, but yeah, you can find me on on YouTube. Um, it's just Christina K, my name. Um, and on Instagram at the Christina K. Christina, thank you again for joining us. We want to know what you all have to say about Captain America, the Winter Soldier. You can let us know on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Monoreal Radio, or you can email us monorealradio at gmail.com. News of the week is coming up, but first, a quick break. Hey, everyone. This is Brian down here in South Florida. I'm about two hours south of Disney, and when it comes to planning vacations, Jackie's the way to go. I have a quick story for you. When it came to booking my family vacation for my two-year-old daughter and my wife, You know, like everybody, I immediately went to the internet, started scouting prices, compiling lists, and uh, building my perfect vacation at Disney. Just out of curiosity, I reached out to Jackie. She mentioned she was uh, booking vacations for many people. So I gave her my uh, list, my itinerary. She looked it over, and when she came back to me, she gave me her recommendations in regards to the parks. However, she also 
had new pricing associated with it. Um, I've learned that going on my own doesn't necessarily mean that I'll be getting the best pricing. Jackie was able to beat the majority of the pricing within my list and saving me a ton of money, but she has the insight and the connections to do so. On top of that, it was stress-free, so all my vacations in the future are gonna be through her because I don't have to think about it. She plans it, I give her some information in regards to what I wanna do, what my plans are for that week when I go visit Disney and she'll make it happen and create the itinerary for me. She's a market expert. Myself, I go into a park, I immediately hop on the next line, I get a few fast passes, and at the end of the day, I don't accomplish everything like I would want to. She advised on which rides to attack first, which restaurants I should schedule on what day, and how to properly allocate my time to maximize my vacation. It was an amazing process. Thanks guys, talk to you soon. Way to go, Monoreal. Keep it going. So if you would like completely free assistance planning your Disney vacation, you can get in touch with me through any of our social media outlets at Monoreal Radio on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Or you can email me directly at j.zolezzi, that's Z-O-L-E-Z-Z-I, at magicalvacationplanner.com. Hi, this is Kelly from Carmen Kismet, your official Monorail news sponsor. And I am very excited to throw it over to Sean and Jackie to talk all about the Disney news. But before I do that, I want to make sure that I share with you guys where you can check out all of my Disney-inspired art at Carmen and kismetdesigns.com. As always, listeners of the show get a 10% discount with the code MONOREAL10 at checkout to see everything that Kelly has to offer. It's online at karmaandkismetdesigns.com. That's karma, the letter N, kismetdesigns.com. You and I, for a couple of weeks, both on the show and off the show, have talked about how the crowds have been a little bit lighter in our last few visits to Walt Disney World. And... We had talked a lot before the summer started that we were anticipating that that slow season in the late spring after spring break would come to a close as kids were getting off of school and people were going on their vacations. And on Saturday in particular, when we were at Baseline recording our uh, our reaction to the IndieWire Pixar rankings... After all was said and done, we got together with Kelly and Pat, the aforementioned Kelly, um, and we were going to hang out. We had no plans at all to do any attractions, and we saw that Star Tours had a five-minute wait. And I thought that perhaps it's because there was a passing rainstorm that had blown through. As the night went on, I noticed there were less and less people, and I thought, well, people got soaked, went back to their hotels, perhaps. No. It is now confirmed what you and I have been talking about and speculating for so long, that the attendance is down at Walt Disney World right now and to the point you made months ago when the discounts came back, that is the reason why the drop-off has finally arrived. Well, I'm not sure Star Tours is the best example because I feel like that ride in particular never really has a long wait and especially since Ale- since Galaxy's Edge came along that's where people are going to go that's where your wait for Star Wars attractions is going to be but um yeah it's been really surprising especially now that we've upgraded to the pirate pass and we have been in the parks on weekends as well yeah where the crowds have not felt that heavy and we were really expecting this to be the thick of it as far as tourist season goes. And it's it's been really surprising to see that on the weekends in particular. You said that it's been confirmed now by the Wall Street Journal. 
that attendance is dropping. Now, before everyone spirals into Disney is losing popularity or, you know, see this is because of what happens with woke Disney and it's affecting attendance. No, it's none of that. I can tell you from my experience as a travel advisor, I think a lot of people have forgotten that trips that were booked in 2020 and 2021 were given a grace period to still go on their vacation priced as it was booked and they were honoring the pre-pandemic pricing. That grace period is now over and that's why we were seeing the drop off. And that was something that I had never even made the connection with because you and I were saying that 2022 was a very busy year because people were ready to travel again. So it was just busy just because, you know, people weren't comfortable to do that yet. But that was some of it. The larger part of it was that it was two years worth of trips being rolled back into one. And now you do see the drop off. You can feel it when you are at the parks, but you can also see that reflected in how many discounts are now being offered. So if you're thinking of coming and you're worried about crowds, now is the time to come. Um, so definitely get in touch with me if you want to book a trip. Well, it was actually a, it was a talk topic as well on Good Day Orlando this morning. That's right. You were and that. they were talking about it and they said it's a number of things. They said that it's, uh, as you pointed out, you know, the the rolled over trips are now gone. Disney 50 is now over. So the big celebration is done. Um, and they said that there is something to be said for how expensive it has gotten. People without stimulus checks, people without two or three years where they did not travel are not, as they put it, revenge traveling yes. against the pandemic. That has since curbed. And a big piece of this is, other than the fact that the costs have gone through the roof, they pointed to certain factors that we have talked about before, like lack of amenities that used to be free. Fast Pass was free. Now it is not. Magic Bands used to be free. At least the basic ones were free when you booked your package, which now they are not. And for a lot of people that are first-time travelers that don't have pre-existing Magic Bands, they need that Magic Band for everything. Right. It's your room key. It's your park admission. For a lot of people, it's how they pay. It's a, it's a form of smart pay in the parks. So when you're dropping five or $6,000 on the low end to take a family of four to Disney World, they're getting turned off by the idea that they have to spend an extra 15 bucks a person on something that used to be free. There's no more baggage claim. There's no more Magical Express. You have to pay for all of that. So the prices went up, and, and you just kept hitting people over the head and hitting people over the head. And now it has gotten so complicated for the average person that does not know or go to Disney enough. And that's a lot of people. There really is a lot of people. It's not their fault. It has gotten too complicated to plan these trips, to get your lightning lane, to get your dining. I mean, people complained that you'd that you'd have to uh, book your dining 6 months out, but the benefit to it was it spread the reservation system out. Mm -hmm. It cast a far wider net. 
So it was easier to get those cancellations. It was easier to pick things up on the fly. And it was easier to plan your day. When you booked your dining and picked specific time for your fast pass, you book your dining now a few months out and you get lightning lane when they tell you you get lightning lane. So that becomes problematic. It's it, it's it's been it started as a snowball and it's turning into a bit of an avalanche and where you and I just thought it was getting quiet and it would pick up again the average wait time right now per attraction is down about 7 minutes. That's a substantial amount of time. So yeah. I mean it went from speculation to confirmation and the deals are coming back, as you've talked about and as you pointed out just now. It'll be interesting to see what else Disney does moving forward to bump the tourism in 2024. Right. So we're going to try and keep it brief because there is a lot more that we could say on this topic because it is something that we have spoke about many times. But we do have a Dockside chat coming up, so we're going to expand on it uh, on our next Dockside chat number 16, I believe we are up to. I believe so, yeah. And that's that's going to be coming up in just a couple of days. But as you mentioned, you know, planning is complicated, but that's why we're here. That's why travel advisors exist. This is, you know, maybe not the best time for Disney, but it's good news for us. So if you are interested in booking, definitely get in touch with me. Yes. Thank you all so much for joining us this and every week on Monorail Radio. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and rate us on your podcast platform of choice. Be sure to follow us on all of our social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, and now Threads at Monorail Radio. For links to everything related to the show, it is going to be online at monorailradio.com. For Jackie, I'm Sean. Have a magical week, everyone. On behalf of Monorail Radio, we'd like to thank you for joining us. We'll see you at the movies, the stuff dreams are made of.